Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. So, let's get started. You may have heard me talk about disruption as the new normal over the past few weeks in Resilience and Risk, and in the episodes on the Evergreen, and in the top 10 supply chain things to be aware of. So today, I want to talk about disruption in relation to food security and climate change. Food security is a term that you may have heard or come across over the past few years, as people have noticed the risks involved from not having food on supermarket shelves and being able to feed the population. And this has certainly risen up the agenda during the pandemic. We've all witnessed supermarkets with empty shelves for particular categories of goods, and the supermarkets themselves have experienced distribution problems, particularly in the United Kingdom as a result of Brexit. I mean, there's an added complexity with the Northern Ireland Protocol causing problems getting food from mainland Britain to Northern Ireland, and the largest supermarkets are having serious problems getting goods into Northern Ireland. But it's not just in Northern Ireland. Uh, There's a report in the National in Scotland just this week about shortages on the shelves in Scottish supermarkets, example given as evidence from various stores, including the co-op. So there is a problem with regard to food security, but there's also a problem with the chaos and the fallout from Brexit. And this has not been resolved. But hey, you know, government's only had five years to plan for this. One of the most interesting books I came across discussing food security is a book by Tim Lang called Feeding Britain, Our Food Problems and How to Fix Them. This is an excellent survey that gives some very useful statistics from all the available evidence and reports in existence about food security. And there are all sorts of myths and stories that fly around with regard to food that were self-sufficient and so on and so forth. If you read the current press reports, um, for example, that national report in Scotland this week, they're talking about food in Scotland, such as cheddar cheese coming from Europe. So it's not as clear cut as you might think. There are all sorts of food items that are imported from strange places, even though they might have British names on them. Pre-1750s, 100% of food was supplied from the United Kingdom. And that gradually dropped over the years. In 1914, it was about 40%. In the 1930s, 30 to 40%. In the 1950s, 40 to 50%. And today, it's around 50%. But there are statistics that say anywhere between 40 and 55% of food consumed in the United Kingdom comes from the United Kingdom. So that means 50% or more is imported. So food security is a rather large issue. And I would urge you to take a look at that Feeding Britain of food problems and how to fix them, because Tim Lang just doesn't offer the, the description of the present condition. He also proposes some policies to make the future better. Tim Lang is Professor of Food Policy at City University and he founded the London Centre for Food Policy back in 1994. 
and he directed it until 2016. So he has a wealth of information at his fingertips. He's researched and written, advised and lectured on food systems, nationally and internationally. And he spent seven years as a hill farmer. He says that's an experience that shaped his work. So he certainly knows what he's talking about. And if you read the book, Feeding Britain, it's a wealth of information about who owns the ports, the transport system, where the money flows, the problems with food in the UK, the problems in the supply chains. And it really is well worth reading. We normally think about sustainability in terms of preserving a future for future inhabitants of the planet. So it's often referred to in relation to people on planet. But Tim Lang gives a couple of alternatives to this view. He says sustainability is one of those words like community or family. It can mean very different things. I suppose it's what the Americans might say it's motherhood and apple pie. It tends to be used in three ways. It's a synonym for the environment. It denotes continuity and survival, for example, in business or organisations. And the use we mentioned initially, preserving the planet for future generations. So if we think about sustainability in a food context, Tim Lang says it's really about the environment. We have around 67 million people in the UK. And the total consumer expenditure on food, drink and catering services is around about £226 billion. And that's split between consumer expenditure on catering, £97 billion, and household expenditure on food and drink, which is about £129 billion. So in the catering categories, we've got restaurants, cafes, canteens and so on. So it's a big business. Food logistics is very important to food security. The food has to move to places where it's needed by the population. And logistics in the food sector is not just trucks, it's IT systems, satellites, tracking consignments, and major distribution hubs where just-in-time distribution services are managed by retailers and other organisations. So it's a fantastically complex business and it brings food to all our tables on a daily basis. But if it breaks down in some way, this is what we mean by food insecurity. If there's a breakdown in that distribution system, well, initially, it's an empty shelf problem in a supermarket. But eventually, it's a starvation problem in the population. So supply chains in food are particularly important to the survival of people. The UK also exports food and drink, and I discussed this in one of my earlier podcasts, how much food was exported. It was the podcast on Brexit. Thomas Malthus was the first Englishman to highlight the problem of having enough food to sustain a growing population. And although Malthus, perhaps in his predictions, was too aggressive, certainly he's probably the forerunner of noting food insecurity back in the 1800s. If we look at contemporary society, the situation is inexorably linked with climate change 
and the environment. And protecting the environment is critical to maintaining healthy food supplies. And it's also linked to the notion of healthy food. Three priorities for government ought to be healthy food, because that prevents disease and later life medical care for those impacted by poor quality food. It also has to be a aim of government to maintain a healthy environment for all the citizens within the boundaries for which they are responsible and to ensure that sufficient food is grown for a sustainable future of the right quality or at least there's excess. And probably one of the problems with the situation of insecurity in food is the success of supply chains. Supply chains have been very effective in establishing the acquisition of crops and food from countries at distance to sustain a population that either has decided or is unable to grow sufficient to meet its own needs. So the success of supply chains is in part one of the problems for food insecurity. But whether those supply chains will be maintained as they have been in the future is difficult to see, especially with the pressure on net carbon zero when we talk about maintaining the pollution levels. I suppose one of the successes of importing food to meet changing tastes and needs for a population can be told through the story of coffee. And if you think of coffee in the United Kingdom and the growth of interest in coffee, uh, where people are buying coffee on a daily basis, this was probably a phenomenon that developed in the 1990s and grew new markets for the Costa coffees and various other coffee shops like Cafe Nero and so on and so forth, all those branded coffee houses that started to sell coffee. Of course, there's always been an interest in coffee, but it was more of a minority activity until the 1990s with the rise of coffee shops on every high street and every point of embarkation at uh, ports, seaports, railway stations, and so on. And so those large franchises came in and began to dominate a takeaway coffee market. And there was an article in the Financial Times in 2019 by Bruce Lockhart and Terrazona talking about from bean to cup. And they gave a very nice breakdown of uh, coffee in its makeup of a £2.50 cup of coffee. And this is really quite interesting because if you analyse where the money is, you begin to see that in your £2.50 cup of coffee, this is made up of 10 pence for the coffee, 10 pence for the milk, the cup stirrers, napkins, 18 pence, the staffing in the coffee shop, 63 pence, and the shop rent of 88 pence. So there's the cost. And of course, that's split then into other cost to acquire the coffee. The wholesale coffee cost basically is made up of the grower who receives just a penny, the processor who receives just 0.4 of a pence, the transport which is just 0.3 of a pence, and the export trader who gets 0.2 of a pence. And the roaster costs and the margins account for 8 pence. And so there is your £2.50 cup of coffee broken into where the money goes. It's scandalous that the grower just gets a penny out of a £2.50 cup of coffee. Anyway, that's the way it broke down. This is but one example. But you can see, perhaps, 
that not enough of the reward is going to the grower. And if it doesn't go to the grower, then how can we expect those growers to do the right thing by the environment? I think this brings it into stark reality. And it's about time that we understood that we need to reward the growers of the crops better if we want cleaner air, better environment, lower carbon emission, all those things, then they need to have enough money to invest. I noticed in the press this week that the milk problem was back with us with problems with wholesale distribution of milk from Arla. This time, of course, it was for a very different reason. The problem with the distribution of milk is because there aren't enough drivers to deliver the milk. And this is a rather growing and large problem in the United Kingdom at present since Brexit, because a lot of the Drivers for all sorts of road haulage companies have gone back to the European Union. Uh, There's a shortage of drivers in the UK able to be qualified to drive. They haven't been able to do training under the pandemic and they're unable to get documentation from the Driver Vehicle Licensing Authority as well about a year There's an industrial dispute going on and it's taking much more time to get tested and to get documentation. So the transport minister really needs to do something about this. The current situation reminded me about uh, the previous dispute in the milk industry back in 2015. And it reminded me of the incidents back in 2015 when the National Farmers Union ran a campaign saying that dairy farmers weren't being paid enough to sell milk. And this follows on from my last discussion about coffee, where the growers just not getting enough. Well, in the case of milk, the full cost of production back in 2015 was about 30 pence, and the farmers were being paid 23.66 pence. So they were about seven or eight pence short of the production cost. And the selling price for two pints in the supermarkets, as we know, back then was around about 75 or 85 pence. Today, it's still around 90 pence to a pound. So it hasn't gone up a great deal. And the problem hasn't really gone away. The prices paid to dairy farmers are still mostly in the region of 30 pence per litre, 35 pence maybe. So it's still quite low in regard to the selling price of the item. And so once again, it's about not having enough money to invest. I mean, dairy farming and milk production in particular is highly intensive in terms of technological investment these days and in terms of 
running a herd. So it's a very costly business to be in. And if you're just not getting paid enough to cover production, then it's crazy. And I think most consumers would probably agree that something needs to be done to reward the milk community better. Food, of course, is responsible for a healthy lifestyle. It's part of the ingredients that make up our healthy lifestyle, along with exercise and so on. But food itself can be the cause of other problems. And back in 2012, the London School of Economics concluded in a report that the total cost of diabetes type 1 and type 2 was around about £13.75 billion. And of course, for the people who end up with diabetes, it's a life-changing disease. So healthy eating is very important. And we want healthy food. And so if we want healthy food, we have to make the investment and we have to protect the environment. One of the other issues with environment is the quality of soil. I've attended a few discussions and webinars where knowledgeable people have been talking about the decline in soil quality and the impact that that has on the ability to grow crops. Sounds like common sense, really. But what can be done about it? Well, again, it needs investment. We shouldn't just think that we can keep denying the growers and the people responsible for looking after the land, that they can just do it on their own without help. They need money to invest, to buy the technology and protect the environment. And they are an important part of the supply chain, so why aren't we rewarding them? Retailers do a great job in keeping prices low for consumers, but there are times when perhaps the control is just misplaced or misguided, and there needs to be a proper conversation about the rewards that different groups need to get so they can reinvest in the future. I came across an interesting piece of research on the topic of post-farmgate food value chains making up most of consumer food expenditures globally. And this research was conducted by Jing Yi, Eva-Marie Mingkan, and Christopher B. Barrett, who's the corresponding author. And it's published in Nature Food, Volume 2, on page 417. The abstract summarises the findings nicely. Progress towards many United Nations Sustainable Development Goals depends on interventions in food value chains. Yet data and methods have, so far, limited the production of cross-nationally comparable estimates of food value chains, magnitudes. They say here we develop a standardised method and data series to estimate the distribution of consumer food expenditure between value-added activities on farms and in the post-farmgate value chain. And they use data from 61 countries between 2005 and 2015, representing 90% of the global economy. We show that farmers receive, on average, 27% of consumer expenditure on food consumed at home, and a far lower percentage of food consumed away from home. 
that figure consistently falls in the 16 to 38% range for middle and high income countries and falls significantly as incomes rise. The large and growing post-farmgate food value merits greater attention as the world grapples with the economic, environmental and social impacts of the food system. So, I think this is an interesting piece of research and adds to the discussion that we've had in this episode about are those producing the food getting enough reward to do the right thing by the environment. Well, if you think about where we began with this particular episode, we talked about the responsibility of government in maintaining fluidity in the political, economic environment. And I think it's government's responsibility through policy and leadership and environmental strategies to encourage investment to maintain the conditions in which producers benefit from their efforts. Now, whether that's through taxation policy, subsidy, or support in different ways, is for government to consider. So, I think if we want a better environment and we want a food system that works for producers in a better way than it does presently, we potentially have some work to do. And if we want to get to net zero, then it's work we have to do quickly. So that's it for this episode of Chain Reaction. Look forward to seeing you in the next podcast. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast written and presented by Tony Hines. Thank you.